0: Today on Girls on Film, find out what it's like to get a passion project produced. Fran Burst-Terranella regales listeners with stories about her indie feature, The Twelve Lives of Sissy Carlisle, a darkly comic tale of escapism. Fran's work spans four decades and work on more than 700 productions. Her documentaries have aired on ABC and PBS, and she has garnered more than 100 honors for her work over the years. Find out how to make your passion projects come alive with Fran Burst Terranella. Girls on Film. Today we're so lucky to have with us an award-winning director, producer, and creative entrepreneur. I love that. Fran Burst was the first woman ever to graduate as a director from the University of Texas Film School. And today we'll learn how she was also the first woman to build a full-time directing career here in Atlanta.
1: Welcome,
2: Fran. Welcome, Fran.
1: How are you? I'm good. Thanks you all so much for inviting me to come and
2: chat with you. And thank you for coming.
0: Yes. We know that you've got a lot to talk about and we're so interested to hear all about it.
2: Yes, we are. I would, I would love to hear about your most recent project, The 12 Lives of Sissy Carlisle. Well, Sissy Carlisle is a feature film. It's a SAG indie, which is great.
1: That means Screen Actors Guild. They have a great program for indie filmmakers. Um We made it on a small budget with probably about 400 people's help, and it's continuing to be getting closer and closer to distribution because of about 4,000 people's help. Mm -hmm. The story of Sissy is, uh, seven years ago, her parents died in a car accident, and she and her brother inherited their antique store and their house and their cat. Well, Riley is her brother. He was busy being somewhat of a creative entrepreneur himself, but pulling kind of con artist schemes. So he just stepped away from the whole thing. And Sissy stepped in and took over her parents' antique shop. And she's been doing that, running the store, taking care of the house, taking care of the cat. But to keep from going nuts, she started writing in a journal. And at first, it was writing about how she felt. But pretty quickly, it turned into making up other characters, people that she thought she might could be, if her parents hadn't died, if things were different. And so she's created some pretty fascinating characters. When we meet her, it's a week before her 27th birthday. And she's decided that she's going to write in her 12th journal, which is about her real life. But there's nothing she think can think of that's worth writing about. Well, her brother discovers she's writing these journals. Her best friend discovers she's writing these journals. And they haven't seen them. And somehow they haven't paid much attention to it. Well, Sissy's journals are really interesting. In one, she's the protector of the forest. So she's you know, gets rid of poachers. And she's out there with her bow and arrow. I saw that. It looked like the Hunger Games it does kind of look like the I was like, wait, is this Hunger Games? <laughs> but no. it was so funny because th- the script was actually written by a young friend of mine who's a former student of mine at the Art Institute, and uh, he wrote it way before the Hunger Games right. were out. So, right, So, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we love the Hunger Games. Of
2: course. No I'm worries. Sure. No worries. And we
1: did take a few cues, you know, from, <laughs> from the <that. laughs> Good. Um, so she's also like a telepath, and I'm not going to give away too much. Okay, good. But she is very bad sometimes (laughs) do not want to tick her off just like sarah just like sarah i've heard that (laughs) that. i've never seen it but but you're about to just kidding (laughs) so what happens is she's at the store one day and this young fellow walks in and he's dressed as a civil war soldier and he's barefooted and he's looking for the history section well what you'll find out when you watch the movie is who he really is but he's interested in sissy and uh, she hasn't been thinking about that kind of stuff. She's just been writing in her journals and running the store. But he's pretty interesting. So eventually he comes back. Meanwhile, her best friend set her up with a guy who's not really
2: that, very hot. That hot, yeah. I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, could, just, I saw that little piece he's too just in not the trailer. That hot. The trailer was really good. Well, thank you. It's at
1: www.sissycarlilemovie.com. Very good, thank you. Thank you. What? Wait, wait. What was that again? www.sissycarlilemovie.com. Got it. Thank you. And just search it like eight thousand times.
2: Understood. That absolutely, way it comes
1: up. absolutely. And you can watch
0: this trailer. Yeah,
1: I just watched it. Cool. So you'll see some of sissy, but there's a lot more in the movie. Yes. Yes. It does yes. have a. It does have a good ending. My parents died seven
2: years ago. I needed to express myself. To be somewhere else. Someone else. Felt so good. Sissy! And I know you're always writing in your journals, but I thought they would be about you. I mean, that one is about an Olympic shot putter, but here, it's a geophysicist. Who are these people supposed to be? Me. I was gonna ask you, like did you help to cast this? Well, I'm the director and the producer. So yeah. I'm, yeah. My good
1: friend uh Shea Bentley Griffin, who's a wonderful casting director, sent yes, out a is. notice for, for us to to the to the casting directors and the talent agencies that we were doing this indie film and we would be sag indie, you know, there'd be a budget, but not not a whole lot. And we were really looking for all Georgia talent. Which everybody's from Georgia that's in the film.
2: Yay Georgia! <laughs> yay, our go is, Georgia! Go! Yay y'all! Yay.
1: Well, our leads are April Billingsley and Jason Burkey, and Stephanie Northrop, and um, we'll think about the others in a minute. <laughs> I'll get those to you. Uh, but anyway, April has done, and Jason have both done a whole lot with film since then. Fantastic. And because we've had the film finished for a few, couple of years. Few okay. Years, And we premiered two years ago yesterday at the Atlanta Film Festival. Mm, So let me do a shout out. Atlanta Film Festival this year will be awesome. Gotcha. Yes. And it occurs to me
0: that we need to spell Sissy Carlisle. So when people go online, they spell it correctly. It's S-I-S-S-Y-C-A-R-L-Y-L-E. Yep. So we want you to get online and get some information about
1: this great movie. Okay. And I'll come back and give you the... The main cast again in a minute. No <laughs> worries. No worries.
2: I wanted to ask you what the hardest part about directing an original production like this is. The hardest part. The hardest thing. She's stupefied. Maybe there's 800 <laughs> there's million so many hard <laughs> things. There's just 800 million hard things. Okay, right. how about one hard thing? Well...
1: One hard thing is we had a whole lot of wonderful different people coming on board to work on the film. Right. But I was the only person that was there every day. Ah. Ooh. So continuity. Well, continuity of how we're going to make this movie was the biggest problem. Okay. But we had great people. They took, people took notes. A lot of people did it as an internship. Or they come on board because they were trying to move up one notch like they'd been a, a production assistant and they wanted to assistant direct. Or they'd mm-hmm. been production coordinator they wanted to be production manager right and a lot of the people that were involved were my students former students from the art institute of atlanta where i was on the faculty for 14 years good for you and so how long did the actual shooting take place well Uh (laughs) uh-oh there were 30 shooting days and they took place over a period of
2: 14 months that's okay is but, that long? Is that a long? Is that a long shoot? Well, yeah. The okay, the film takes place over six days, so so you had to make sure that the hair was the same length. You had to keep, yeah, okay. yeah. And, gotcha. and and there's one place where Brad Mills, who's
1: the Elijah, he's the love interest. Okay, that, that He comes in there in, in the Civil War outfit? Um, we shot a scene where he comes back in the store a second time to visit with her, and he was wearing um beige pants then we shot where they go into his apartment a few minutes later yeah and midway through that shoot day I kept going there's just something wrong with this outfit and we we had it we had a wardrobe book but for some reason whoever was running the
2: wardrobe that day hadn't had, run it the time before well they had <laughs> and they
1: just you know things get overlooked sure it, it, sure. Got, it was kind of a crazy day like the, <laughs>
2: The, the pants I'm the, getting, I'm taking. The pants were different.
1: Yeah, they were black.
2: Oh my God! Okay, that's very different. So my editor,
1: and he's also a co-producer, also a former student and a longtime collaborator with me, Whitney Trower, uh, she had to work around the fact that Brad was wearing the wrong pants. Mm. It certainly wasn't Brad's fault. Fix it, <laughs> it in was, post. Well, you we know, have So there's <laughs> one place. If you watch this scene real closely, you'll you'll notice the beige pants. Mm. But also, Sissy has on like a camisole under under her um, kind of pullover top. Yeah, in the store. Yeah. Now that's gone, and you see her <laughs> in the next. Okay. There were, <laughs> there were just a yeah. That's the things. that's that's probably the only real wardrobe error. Okay. Error. And I won't, there's a. Earrings are interesting in hair lengths. We won't even talk about that. <laughs> got Because a, a, a lot of the film, maybe a quarter of it, takes place on a Saturday night in a bar. And it's at Churchill's Bar in Buckhead. They're just great. They have this lower-level lower room, which is only open on weekends, or it used to be. And it's wood, and it's got British paintings and all this stuff. And so it it's got a real like old school london feel to it so it's a great place to film in and great sound except for when the dogs bark next door where people left their dogs for the day but anyway we have a lot of dog parks in the right movie. we understand and then there was one night with the crickets, but you know,
2: <laughs> goddamn crickets! Well, I can you, hear it now. Well, you can hear it. In the movie <laughs> right, right. People said, "How did you get that?" I'm going to be look. I'm going to be listening for dogs and crickets I'm and sorry. looking for black pants and camisoles. How did now. you? <laughs>
1: how did you get those great cricket sounds? And I said, "Well, well it perfect. was like a September night on my friend's back hello. porch. Hello, mm. hello. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we did have it." ever-evolving group of sound recorders, too.
2: Gotcha. That, right. was,
1: that was
0: interesting. Well, Fran, I, I want to know when I'm going to be able to see this. Is that something you can tell
2: us?
1: Well, the very top of my list right now is to get Sissy Carlisle into distribution worldwide. How? How do you do that? Well, you know, it's interesting that you ask that because I just discovered an article that was written during just after the sun, most recent Sundance Film Festival. And these two women, who are really bright, they went to... A lot of dis, uh, distributors and they gave them a questionnaire about how they pick films and how long they have to have the film for and all this stuff right and uh, I'll give you the link to it
2: love hmm I'd love to see that because I'd
1: love to put it there because they just found out a whole lot of things so I guess I'm on a mission
2: to change <laughs> change the game The game is ready to change. Everything's changing. Well, especially here in Georgia,
1: we have got not just great crew and technical people and astonishing facilities for studios. We've got great actors. Right. And everybody behind the scenes is great. But we also have content creators. In like my friend Ty Johnston with the Atlanta Pitch Summit, she she was one of the first pitch summits here. But now there's several other really terrific ones that have come up. Mm -hmm. There's so many groups interested in developing content. And this will be the second year Atlanta Film Festival has their Writers' Summit, which is a sc- done in coordination with ScreenCraft. So, And, of course, all of a sudden women are trending, so that's nice. Because when, <laughs> when I first went to look for jobs in the early 70s after I finished film school, people say, well, now, honey, if you could speak Spanish and you had a different skin color, we could hire you. But we cannot hire you. Just, we don't hire women otherwise. And it was horrible. It was right around the time that um, Justice Ginsburg was beginning her career as an advocate for women's rights Mm. and equal employment rights. You know, I would be told things like, well, you're married. We know you'll go get pregnant. Or we don't let women carry equipment. Or uh, women can't work at night. (laughs) It's like, oh my God. It's so We really
2: can't. We just get too
1: tired. Is
2: that why I, guess I don't was,
1: know why well, we, we, we that? To we need to be
0: at home with our children at night. Oh
1: mm-hmm. well, I do yes. have a children. One, his name's Joe. She he, has a
2: children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he lives in New York, and he has a children. I have a two children.
1: Well, see, you're way ahead of me.
2: No, <laughs> no. But no, I have a friend. wonderful daughter-in-law. Freaking, freaking seven hundred projects under your belt. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're way ahead of me.
1: But anyway, yeah, my husband had to negotiate for about ten years before we had a kid because he's convinced that I'd have the baby. They'd let me out of the hospital, and I would have my suitcase packed and all my equipment, and I'd go get on a plane and go all over and start shooting. Yep. So I had to, like, prove I wouldn't do that. And, oh, I couldn't be on any boards. So somebody says to me, oh, friend, you're on a lot of boards and stuff. And I said, well, oh, not that often. And then I thought about it, and I realized. I got when women in film, now women in film and television at started in 1974. I showed up at the second meeting. And eventually we formed a board. Right. And I was on it. And then uh, I'm still on a couple of boards right now. The uh, Tag Wait, Digital I, Media I Entertainment. Have, and oh, good, I, good, So I
2: went back and. We saw you at that event, the last event. Oh, the um, Tag event, yeah. The Digital Media and Entertainment They Summit. have got some
1: great stuff yep. planned for this year. Just yep. all kinds of multi-platform, you know, tech, art, you just got to go back and everything and, all blended do this together. It's a really great group. So. Yep. But anyway, so then I thought, well, there was a time I was not on a board. And it was um, starting from the time I was about three months pregnant and then till about three months after my son was born. So it wasn't quite a year. That's okay. A distribution, Fran. Okay, back to distribution. Yes, please. Okay. What are the barriers? Well, the goal is for people to see your movie, right? right. Mm-hmm. And we should stay totally focused on this. One of the people I follow is a guy named Jason Brubaker. He's uh, really an advocate for indie filmmakers and has done some great webcasts and stuff like this. And I'll also give you his link. He, he sent out something this morning, actually, and he said, uh, let me let me grab this. Hold on a second. It was so good. I just loved it
2: is very prepared. She's yes, brought about. She well, I've brought the encyclopedia, Four, forty pages <laughs> of notes. That's what great. happens when you work forty years in the
1: business. Hello. I think so. Successfully. Okay. So he says. Here's here's the title of today's post. Not cool filmmakers. And he goes. I love this. He says. He says. Um. Want to know what's not cool? It's when filmmakers say silly crap like this. It's my first feature, and I don't care about the money. I just want exposure. If you ever hear another filmmaker say something like this, or if you are tempted to say something like this, just don't. Got it. Saying stuff like this is the fastest way to devalue your product and yourself. Think about it. I love this one because I live in Emma Park, and you know real estate here is always a question. Pretend this is real estate, and instead of making a film, you just produced a 100-unit apartment complex. Would you ever just give away this apartment complex for exposure? Like no. No, that'd be silly. So why is this normal for filmmakers? My guess is that, well, I probably shouldn't say this, but anyway, that, that there are some people who say they are film distributors that would like for that myth to continue. So don't give in to this BS. Instead, think of your film like a 100-unit apartment complex. I love that. Mm-hmm. You produced your film for a reason. Don't give it away just because you're tired. I'm not saying this is easy. If you wanted it easy, you wouldn't be making films. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, filmmakers. That is way too true. And so, people make these wonderful films. I mean, and they're all over everywhere, especially if you here in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Short films, long films, web series. It's just amazing how much talent we have. But he says, here's what Jason says. But I can tell you, having a real plan for promotion and distribution can save you from yourself. (laughs) That's perfect. So my younger sister, Kat, she lives in uh, Colorado. And she and I have collaborated on and off through the years. And every time I've ever really actually spoken and said something interesting, it's something I always seem to say. So I was talking to my sister, Kat. (laughs) And and so I was actually talking to my sister, Kat, about doing this. And she said, well, you know, friend, you've I know you've been planning to ask people for help for distribution, and she said, "You know some people," and I said, "Yeah, but I don't even know how to ask them." I said, "You know, I don't want to impose and some stuff like this." They've got their own projects. We call her grimacing. We <laughs> gotta ask. So she helped me write this letter. So. If you're a friend of mine and you're hearing this, you might be getting an email from me very soon asking for your help. Who do you know that might be interested in distributing Sissy? Or maybe you've got a friend contact who's got a film in distribution that could advise or, you know, your college roommate, your cousin, whoever it is. Right. Because we all know people. Right. Right. I think that's great, friend. I mean,
0: you never get it unless you ask for it. Would you say that again, Teresa, right? I said,
1: I think that's great. And you never get it unless you ask for it. You do not ever get it unless you ask for it. Yep. That's right. So that's where we are in Sissy Carlisle
2: movie distribution. If, if you had the dream distribution plan, what does that look like? Well, Sissy would be on a TV network. Okay. Could be an indie network,
1: could be a... Broad-based network yeah. could be a women's interest network okay it's she could fit in a lot of different places oh that's great mm-hmm. that'd be ideal okay i mean it'd be great to have a short run in theaters like the art film theaters quote unquote right mm-hmm. that might happen down the road what about like the hulu but the main the thing is absolutely to get yeah. to get quality streaming yeah with a good deal cuz as jason says you're not giving your film away you know would you give away that 100-unit apartment complex? No. Well, God knows Netflix
2: got a ton of money.
1: Well, there's a lot of, yeah, Netflix has money, Amazon has money, Hulu has money. There's a lot of new players in the game.
2: Absolutely, and there's more and more and more coming out and all the time.
1: But I think the thing that, that people, if we put get a film with one of those distributors, what we want to do is make sure
2: we stay in the game so people see the film, you know. You know who's just jumping into um, content creation is Apple. Mm-hmm. So Fran. Oh well, you know you need to just call. Here's my, yep. Yeah, just here's take a picture. Here's my MacBook. Yep. Here's my iPhone. <laughs> you take a picture of your of your MacBook and say, "I wrote this movie on this MacBook." Well, no, I, no, I didn't actually write it, but I put okay. everything for it. Okay, well, mm-hmm. whatever. But it we'll was figure written it out. on a MacBook. There it you was, go. It was
1: edited on a on a big Mac that's a great story right there
2: and Not, you, yep and send and, it to them and say listen buy my film
1: I like that do yeah. it
2: do it for sure they, they are looking they want stuff right away alright Apple here, here we, we go come. Apple that's right. Apple Lisa, um, could you help me? Of course, what's up? I need um, a tampon. Do you have a tampon? As a matter of fact, better than
0: just a typical tampon, I have Lola, 100% natural, founded by women for women. I've heard of Lola. Is it true they deliver everything to you? Yes, it's totally customizable. With my subscription, I choose my mix of products, absorbency, quantity, and delivery times. I can change, skip, or cancel my subscription anytime. Do they have pads and liners? Oh yeah, tampons, pads, liners, and cleansing wipes.
2: I read that they donate feminine care products to homeless shelters.
0: Right, I just love Lola it makes my time of the month one less thing to stress over and i feel good about a hundred percent organic
2: cotton and
0: bps free tampon applicators
2: yeah me too but less talking and more giving me that tampon (laughs) gotcha here you go
0: and sarah you can have your own subscription just visit mylola.com and enter girls on film you'll save 40 percent what do i have to do again You just visit mylola.com and enter girls on film, and then you'll save that 40%.
2: So 40% off organic, founded from women, customizable, and they deliver. Sign me up for Lola, a modern approach to feminine care.
0: All right, so Fran, that's your current project, and we're all going to be watching for Sissy Carlisle, and we're all going to go online to look at the trailer, but I want to take you back to when you graduated college, and then did you come straight to Atlanta, or did you make some stops along the way?
1: (laughs) My husband and I were, we grew up in Dallas, Texas, and uh, both of us finished our degrees at University of Texas, Austin. Mm -hmm. We'd been in other schools, but... Um, We being? My husband, Tony, and I. um, We've known each other since we were freshmen in high school. He took a couple of detours, including going off to study to be a Jesuit priest for two and a half years. Oh, my goodness. Uh, But uh, That's
2: very focused.
1: Well, Yeah, but if you're in a Catholic (laughs) family, you're supposed to go off old school. You're supposed to send your oldest son to be off to be a priest. My dad had been in a Catholic seminary for five years. Among other things, he learned how to speak five— how to
2: read at least and speak five languages. So I guess we were heathens in our Catholic family because we didn't do well, you're, anything you're, like that. <laughs> we were super heathens. We were Lutheran. There you
1: go. <laughs> <laughs> well, ironically, I've done a lot of work for all kinds of faith-based groups, and I love it. But yeah, like, and I, you know, we don't let's don't talk about that. Okay, so um, too much controversy. So where were we? Okay, so you've graduated. Oh, oh yes. So we we went out to the west. We had this little tiny station wagon and so we we, we went to L.A. because, you know, that's what you're supposed to do and we had some friends in San Francisco so we visited with them first and, you know, we were in some kind of terrible economic crisis and all that crap so, because uh, we usually are, this is America <laughs> and if we're not, we're about to or we right. just did so right. anyway and I would go places and that's where I heard all this stuff about when you're married you'd have a baby you can't work at night if you also knew Spanish blah, 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 blah. So then we went to L.A., and we stayed with one of his friends. who would actually also left seminary. Now, this is to L.A. in the earlier 70s, and I'd been there as a kid. My parents had made sure we did some traveling. Um, but I was just, like, totally overwhelmed. I mean, all those freeways, and we had freeways in Texas, but not that much yet. We do a lot more now, but... I went and called on people, and it was just, it was just impossible. You know, I had my film. It's on a reel. I'd done a mm-hmm. really cool short documentary about kids being learning how to make films, and how that we worked with a group in Austin who was doing a summer program. This was my thesis film, and my part film partner was actually in the film, and she led a workshop for kids in conjunction with uh, summer makeup class. So kids who had been were behind a reason. On reading, we'd come to school during the summer. And so we worked with our local public TV station in Austin, and we teamed up to make the youngest filmmakers. That's the documentary. And we taught the kids' classes in filmmaking. And and they also did the summer reading program. So at the end, they tested the kids, obviously, to see how they'd done in the program. And the kids that were in both the reading and the filmmaking program jumped between two, four, and five grades ahead in reading wow All, it was a good program and these were mostly kids who had some you know who were not didn't were relatively low income and didn't have a lot of extra opportunities everybody progressed you know everybody made a grade level
2: but when you brought that project to LA and you went into they, a production studio or you went I mean, into you had to a project film office it on, you had to get them to
1: project it and
2: watch it on a 60-millimeter film So projector. what kind of reaction were you getting from Well, these... if
1: people watched it, they liked it, but they could not figure out what on earth to do with me. I did not fit in. Okay. I wasn't a television person, although the film eventually ran on the, all the different PBS stations right, right, right as they were kind of coming together. It ran at different times.
2: Because there are going to be um, a lot of people that are listening to this that are going to be bumping into lots of walls like you did. And... How do you, you know, what do you, how do you make that break? In you know, sometimes it's just persistence until you find the right person to talk to. Well, it
1: depends on what you want to do. Okay. But, but back to ask for help. Yeah. Isn't that where we were a few minutes ago? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You got to ask for help. You got to ask everybody you know and everybody they know. Right. Because of the digital world, obviously. Things are a little bit different. They're, they're not necessarily easier because no. there's so many people and so much out there but you got to make a film. You just have to make a film. Got to have content. And I mean I've got friends I they, they make wonderful films about their cat or the light in their apartment <laughs> or the train that goes sure. by, you know, yeah. and they you you just now you can do that. I mean Yeah, and back your,
0: when you phone. had to shoot film, it was yeah, a bigger undertaking.
2: Different. Yes. Definitely. It's, so where'd you get your break? Did I get a break? I don't know. That's what I'm. I'm trying to find out. Maybe not in L.A.
1: Oh no 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 no. We packed up and just went back. I just no. We went to through the Southwest. We weren't really. It was a little not us, but we looked went to TV stations and film production companies and stuff. You know, in Arizona and Nevada and New Mexico and. All that no nobody was interested. So we ended up back in Dallas, and um, we decided we would stay there one year and save money, and then go travel around Europe. Mm. While we didn't have own a house, we didn't have much stuff. We just did that. So my husband worked for the city of Dallas in warehouse in a warehouse, and I taught at a community college. I taught uh, photography, and I taught at a Ursuline Academy Girls School. We did a humanities uh-huh. program for for juniors in high school and i also did a filmmaking class with the freshmen and i also worked at a production company like i said i tend to look back and go what was i thinking (laughs) but we saved enough money and um so we we then we went we took our little station wagon we drove up to east coast and we checked out every place we could think of there where we might want to live we didn't know where the hell we were going to live And we kept thinking we might want to live in Virginia, but we happened to come through Atlanta because my aunt and uncle lived here, and we could stay and visit with them. It was a great treat. And um, we didn't really think about it as where we might live, but we just really loved the trees, and the city was gorgeous. So then we went on up, and we spent a good bit of time in Boston and New York, left our car at my sister's house in Boston, where she lived at the time, went to Europe for three months. (laughs) (laughs) Had an amazing trip. We mostly slept on. Well, we slept on the train about a third of the time because mm-hmm. didn't have a whole lot of money. But it was great fun. Oh I my bet. goodness!
0: Well, skip ahead to when you came. So then we and came started back. Really working in Atlanta.
1: Well, then we came back and we traveled through the middle of the country. So we'd pretty much done the whole country. And we didn't find a place we wanted to live. So we looked at each other as we were driving back into Atlanta right before Thanksgiving that year, and we went, "Hell, let's move to Atlanta." Uh, and because it was there was an energy shortage and Atlanta's not cold and we loved just we had just loved the city so we packed up about two days later and we moved here and my aunt and uncle were off visiting family for Thanksgiving so we stayed at their apartment by the time they got back we had jobs perfect so what what was your first production job
0: that put you on your path to production
1: Well, that's a good question. It was probably in Dallas, because I worked for a production company there. But rather than put me in the film department, I was in their audio-visual department. So Mm -hmm. among other things, we created huge multi-image slideshows where you project 10, 20, 30 different projectors at one time for conventions and for like big campaigns, like when they were promoting the city. For convent, you know, for all kinds of events, and they worked a lot with the chamber of commerce and a lot of the big companies, and so I was always out photographing and then putting these slideshows together, doing the sound cutting with, as uh, Port and I discussed earlier, cutting audio with a little razor blade. Sure, yeah. And uh, worked with different different studios and stuff there to produce that stuff. So yeah, it was it was with a small production company in Dallas.
0: Well, what what started you off here in Atlanta?
1: worked for a small production company that did slideshows that's where I, the job i got when i left my um when i was staying at my aunt and uncle's over the okay. thanksgiving holiday and um then i got uh, i shot a couple of commercials for people it was fun because i actually got to be a cinematographer which i am and um then i worked on a feature and it's called um uh, UFO Target Earth. Is that the right name? I mean, UFO Target Earth. It's <laughs> 1973. And it was an indie feature, and it was being shot in the dead of winter, mostly outside. So um, I was a sound recordist. I was, well, I was the boom operator. So I was actually the boom girl. And the only two women on the crew that did anything related to equipment were me and my friend Alice. And she actually ran the Nagra tape recorder. So she was the recordist, and I was the boom operator. Gotcha. And so I figured out real quickly how to actually um, figure out where all the mics needed to be, no matter what was the situation. Sure. Even in a lake. And
0: and even how to be on a set.
1: There's a whole education there. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, we were treated specially, usually in a good way. Hmm. But, I mean, we were unusual. And then, um, so I did a lot of freelance work. Worked on a lot of commercials. And then I actually took a job with the National Southern Headquarters of the Presbyterian Church, which was based in Atlanta at that time. And I eventually became, really took over their production department. And that was fascinating because the the church was focused a lot on social issues. There was a lot of women women's rights issues, obviously were coming to the forefront, a lot of uh, racial equity. Uh, A lot of international work on hunger and homelessness, interacted a little bit with Habitat for Humanity International, eventually did a lot of projects for them, and um, traveled. I went to to Haiti when it had trees. We went to uh, Africa, Botswana, and Congo, and Swaziland and went to and Asia. you were
0: you were the production coordinator I, some, for all
1: that? Well, I was a producer for uh I was a producer for all those things and I also did the a lot of photography, still photography on every shoot. Wow. Cuz we'd always have a crew that usually somebody had raised some funds for a special project and and they would have a crew but but I would be in charge of making sure we got what we needed and then overseeing or being involved in the post. It depended on the project. But the biggest trip was to Bangladesh. And also Taiwan and Japan, but we were we were in Bangladesh for three three weeks and filming with people in refugee camps. And any illusions or delusions that I had about how people could survive uh, with uh, no—it was the most astonishing thing. I mean, two hundred fifty thousand people in a refugee camp with nothing. Wow! Everybody was displaced between the civil war and then huge. Um, Typhoons and stuff that had just wiped it out. Now, now, we're looking, with climate change, we're looking at many of these countries disappearing, including probably our coastlines. <laughs> oh, my Lord. I said to my son, you're 100 yards, your apartment is 100 yards from where Hurricane Sandy came to the highest point on the lower part of Manhattan. I went, uh-huh. He went, goes, so high." I went, damn, I hope you got good
2: insurance.
1: Yeah, It's crazy. It is. That's another thing. I'm a huge, passionate environmentalist.
2: Right. right. And I want to ask you about your, um, just a, if you could give us a, a short overview a little bit about the um, the Chattahoochee River film that you did. It's called The Chattahoochee River, Muddy Waters, Clear Solutions. Was that something that you did because you were asked? Or was it something that you jumped on top of because you were interested in the topic?
1: What What have it was... My dad died in 1990, and the last day he was alive, he's off the respirator and stuff, and I ended up spending four or five hours with him, and he was in, theoretically in a coma, but we had a lot of conversations. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, not in speech, but mind transfer. So anyway, we got to thinking about what I was doing, and my son, our son was little. He was in grade school. And... Um, Obviously, I was involved with a lot of production companies and stuff like that. I had my production company. I was doing a lot of work. But I knew that in my heart, I really wanted to do something for the environment. And and I just hadn't really put that at the top of the list. So as soon as I got back, I called up Carolyn Hatcher, who was the head of the Georgia Conservancy. And I said, I want to help you. I'll donate my time. And so she hooked me up with their development director, and she had this file drawer full of all these projects that people had ideas for. Some were journalism, you know, or photography, but some were films or TV. Yeah. yeah. So, anyway, there was one in there, and that's the first project I ended up working on for the environment. And that was uh, with the Georgia Conservancy. And so we, we did all, it was also related to protecting stream banks right. so that they could keep pollution out of all our waterways throughout the state. So there was a small budget. I did not take any of that for myself, but I was able to hire a crew at a very low, modest price. And we had a great friend came on board as an editor. And we could, you know, go and do the post-production stuff. But this is back in the day of Beta Cam, so it was pretty heavy equipment. Mm-hmm. And um, so, once again, I was the only person I ever shoot. <laughs> and I, we went all over the, the the northern part of the state particularly right. and i got to work with the georgia department of natural resources we i think we got access to use their helicopter I And mean, they had these great pilots and right so we went up and did a lot That's of aerials so and then fun. it was amazing and eventually we did this this film and um it was about yeah protecting stream banks yep. and so it got a lot of usage but won some awards and uh, was used in a lot of different states because gotcha. it didn't make it specific to Georgia, but it's how what we do, what developers do, right. what city governments, county governments, what our Department of Economic Developments, and our people who are out protecting, you know, doing the waterways, and especially utility companies who will just wipe out the all the vegetation on the side of a stream. So anyway, I was totally hooked.
2: That sounds
1: very, So then very we moved cool. through several other projects, and then eventually— Sally Bethay, who was the founding director of the Chattahoochee, executive director of the Chattahoochee Riverkeeper, she 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 worked with, we worked closely at the Conservancy, and then she was offered the opportunity to come in and start the Riverkeeper. So we'd, meet, we'd be about four of us figuring out, how are we going to launch this, this organization? And so my challenge was to bring the Chattahoochee River into the Hard Rock Cafe, where the launch party was. Mm-hmm. So I said, well... I got to be in touch with CNN. So they let us use a lot of footage. and
2: Terrific.
1: So eventually the Chattahoochee Waters, Muddy Waters Clear Solutions came about through a lot of that. And it was done in conjunction also with one of the regional uh, development centers that was... In mid Georgia, that knew how important and critical it was that our, all our waterways be protected. Can right?
0: we see this film on YouTube or something?
1: I think it's so. If it's not, I'll make sure it's up. It was up, but that's a good idea. That'd be great, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: Now, I have an, another question for you, if you don't mind. Um, next week, Teresa and I are going to interview the executive producer of The Walking Dead, and I see in, in your menu that you have something a- along those lines. Uh, called The Last Zombie. Oh, that's one of my students' films. Is it? It's, so did you help with that film? Well,
1: they decided to give me some kind of an executive producer credit ah, because it, I it actually let them do it something that ridiculous for their major film project <laughs> the in last their directing zombie. class. Well, wow, that's great. It's a Let's great fit, project. It's, it's giving birth into a bucket.
2: You just really don't want to know a whole lot more. <laughs> I think that maybe there are there there are better places to give birth, but maybe worse well, too. I don't know. <laughs> a zombie well, there, baby probably appropriate. It was mm-hmm. very
1: good for a zombie baby and there were a lot of <gasps> special effects. Cool. <laughs> and cool. just tons of blood. Gotcha. It was uh, it's really yeah. We yeah. had a lot of zombie movies in and- before The Walking
2: Dead. This yeah. Was, this was the early 2000s. People love zombies. Yeah. They do. They love horror. They do. Oh, I know. Yes. And
1: I don't know exactly why, but it just seems to be something that we're...
2: It's fascinating to some people. Yeah. It's and it makes amazing. a lot of
0: money, too.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, really we had does. a horror film. A friend of mine and I, Will, and these two writers, we we had this horror film we were going to do in the early 80s. Oh, holy crap. It was really good. And you know, getting financing though at the early eighties, it was not happening.
2: Very, very hard. Yeah, not a great economy then either. <laughs> <It> just
1: <laughs> there's several projects that almost got done before I did Sissy. You know, I've been meaning to do a long format piece since the nineteen sixties. You know,
2: gotcha. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, well, so, Fran. Oh, go oh ahead. no, I was just gonna say, what? Do you, where, how, where do you want to end up with Fran? Here? I
0: was, I was gonna say, you know, we could talk forever because you've done so many grand and glorious things but um let's let's finish up with this question what does the Fran of today tell the fran 30 years ago does that make sense
1: yeah yeah and okay. i think i had an idea on that oh good just for a second oh oh shoot no i have too many ideas i can tell you that right now um i think the friend of today says the Actually, it's really the other way, I think. It's the early friend telling the current friend. Okay. Focus. Pick two or three things that are super, super important to you and you can actually make a difference with. And... uh, Try to figure out... How to help people, because I always want to help people. I love people. I love seeing people succeed. I love seeing people try new things and just going off like gangbusters. Um, But try to preserve enough of my own thinking that I can actually share what's in my head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that younger me tells my older me that a lot. Right now, I've got three apps I want to develop related to language and how it affects how we act both individually and as a human community. Um, I'm real interested in stuff for baby boomers because I think the youngest baby boomers like 56, definitely qualified for the AARP. And so two or three different organizations have asked me to maybe do some workshops, classes, what have you, on Creativity, and how to get back in touch with that stuff that you did put aside. That maybe you know, I've used mine. I've had that opportunity, and made that opportunity, I and mean, given opportunities to be a director, to be a creative person. My whole life doesn't always make a lot of money, but you sure, it <laughs> sure makes a great life and mm-hmm. stories. And um, but to just go back and find those sparks, so that I've got a real mission in that. But then I'm trying to force myself. Maybe it's Sissy's influence. To just sit and write down stuff every day. Because I think we have so much stuff in our heads. And I think with the digital world, holy crap, you know, it, you, I can look up and in like two hours just happened and I don't even know what I was doing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, you it can know, be Because it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating. Between blogging,
0: vlogging, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, et cetera. Right. It's and a lot. Then
1: there's a couple artistic things. And remember that. Okay, like with 3D and virtual reality type stuff that I really want to experiment with. Well, I'm sure you're
0: going to be a success at whatever you come across. You guys are the success. (laughs) We're, we're, We're working on it. We are working on it. Today, we've been so fortunate to have Fran Burst here today. And please, please look for her film
1: the 12 lives of sissy carlisle
0: and i want to look for the chattahoochee movie on youtube too yeah i definitely want to look at that so thank you all get in touch with us send us emails because we are girls on film and we are
1: out